And welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you for listening to us today. How you doing today, Sarah? Good. We are recording in the middle of a rainstorm, and earlier it was a thunderstorm, Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping that if it does thunder again that we capture it on the show. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's been about 15 degrees outside. Lovely. Wonderful. After last week. Yeah, after hitting nearly 40 in the middle of last week. Like nearly every day. Yeah. Oh, we don't have air conditioning. We don't have a basement. We have a single fan. Yes. So very happy to be on the cold side today. For sure. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. Having the same kind of gratitude for the rain as you are. And um, looking forward to watching tonight's movie with you. What is tonight's movie? Tonight's movie is Quatermass 2 from 1957, directed by Val Guest. Have we had a sequel that's been like, name... Two. No. Ah. Quite famously, Quatermass 2 is possibly the earliest movie to have that title format. Mm. I will give a heads up that um, at least as far as the BBC miniseries goes, there is a thing named Quatermass 2 in the show. So it might just be named after that. The... BBC serials um, from 1953 for the Quatermass Experiment, as well as uh, the 1955 sequel, were created and written by Nigel Neal. Um, And he didn't like some of the changes made Mm. um, when Hammer adapted the Quatermass Experiment to film. Um, In that film adaptation, Professor Bernard Quatermass is now an American scientist investigating a rocket ship crash. Uh, He had been overseeing the project where the rocket went up and it lost contact with its office on Earth. Ground control? Ground control. (laughs) Uh, And now it is back. In both Quatermasses, the BBC and Hammer, uh, the only survivor on the ship is Karun. Uh, he is mute, kind of immobile, and mutating to the point where he has like non-human fingerprints. So as they try to investigate what happened on the ship to the two other astronauts that were supposed to be with Karun, uh, Karun begins to morph into a strange being Uh, kind of absorbing any organic material near him and becoming not the blob, but a blob-like creature. They discover that uh, this Karoon creature will end up releasing spores to reproduce on Earth. And so they decide, okay, we need to stop him. In the film, this blob-like creature is electrocuted and Quatermass, an American, uh, says, all right, Time to start again and gets right back to work um, immediately after the electrocution 
of this creature, but also of Karun and the other scientists within this creature. In the TV serial, it's a little more British. <laughs> In the climax, Quatermass uh, reaches the astronaut's consciousness for Karun and the two other astronauts, and he appeals to their humanity in order to convince them to destroy this being themselves. Um, as you would hear in our episode on the Quatermass experiment, this TV serial was a really big hit, and Nigel Neal kind of became like the name at the BBC. When Neil was approached to create the sequel to Quatermass, the BBC had a little fire under their butts. Uh, see, in 1954, there was a television act that uh, the British Parliament passed, and that introduced the uh, commercial television channel ITV, ah, or yeah. Independent Television. So that's in 1954, and the BBC was like, okay, well, we need to outcompete this new competitor. Like, yeah, they, they we, have competition for the first time ever. And they're like, ah, well, what do we need? We need another Quatermass. Mm -hmm. So Neil started thinking, okay, like, what, what can I do? And he became inspired by some UK secret projects going on. Mm. Um, specifically, things like a place called Porton Down. Have you heard of Porton Down? No. So it is like a military facility that is in Porton Village near Salisbury, run by the Ministry of Defense. It's like a defense science and technology lab. Okay. And just the idea of like a, a government facility where no one really knows what's going on, but it's right near like a small town. What do those small town people think? Right. Now, that all sounds pretty familiar here in, like, the year of our Lord 2021, where right. Stephen King is a big name. Stranger, Stranger Things. Things yeah. And all the things that uh, went into influence Stranger Things. So, yeah. But it's kind of like a, a novel idea, especially for the BBC. Mm -hmm. um, Neil would be working with TV producer and director Rudolph Cartier, um, who produced and directed the first serial, and uh, Neil had a pretty long working relationship with Cartier. Uh, by this point, they had adapted Wuthering Heights, 1984, and many others. And, like, these are big, notable things. Like, 1984 was, like, huge. Yeah, we mentioned it last week. Mm -hmm. um, Peter Cushing starred as Winston. Parliament met to debate on whether to ban it being rerun. Um, yeah. When it came time to film Quatermass 2 uh, for the BBC, uh, they had double the budget of the first serial, uh, BBC willing to put the money in to compete with ITV, uh, which meant that they were able to pre-film some segments. Um, typically, uh, everything was filmed live, but with the sequel, it's about 50%. Um, most of the pre-filmed segments being uh, on location. Yeah, and you can see that continue as, like, a tradition in British TV for, like, a long time. Like, if you ever go and watch... Coronation Fal Street? Well, I was going to say, like, Faulty Towers, but oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> absolutely. Like, Faulty Towers, Blackadder, uh, you know, Old Money Pythons, Old Doctor Whos. You'll often see that, like, the scenes that are being shot on a set are being shot on video, and the scenes on location are being shot on film mm -hmm. because one 
thing is being pre-filmed as you're saying and the other thing's being like taped live or whatever yeah yeah so that's the case here now for their returning Quatermass, they had planned for reginald tate to return um he had played Quatermass in the first serial a wrench got thrown into those plans because about a month before filming began, Tate passed away. So they hired John Robinson to replace him. Um, now, he had been a television actor since the 1930s, and I guess he had some difficulties with some of the more technical language, mm. like that Star Trek problem. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he worked through, but he did feel a little uncomfortable taking on the role with such short notice and because the principal player had died. Right. So when last audiences saw Quatermass, um, he was like, OK, I guess uh, we'll go back to work um, after, you know, this failed experiment. Um, when Quatermass 2 opens, he is working with a, a mathematical genius named Dr. Leo Pugh to try to establish permanent colonies on the moon <laughs> ambitious and, i mean if you if you miss you'll be among the stars i guess quite a mess um so he's developing these like oxygen domes that i think like we would kind of see as like a biosphere mm. in today's world and he's just like you know create like this false atmosphere put a bubble on the moon put oxygen in it we're good right there are these meteorites falling over northern England, and a Captain Johnny Dillon uh, asks his fiance's dad, who is Quatermass, to investigate. Now, Quatermass is hesitant to do it because he's, you know, working on this moon project, uh, but stuff, <laughs> rockets blow up in his face and kind of kill his entire team down in Australia. So he's like, well, uh, Dr. Pugh, why don't you help me out with this meteorite project? <laughs> Is Quatermass not good at his job? <laughs> we should consider this. So um, he goes to investigate with uh, Pew joining him. When they get up close to one of these meteorites, it sprays some sort of ammonia gas on Dylan. Um, and he gets like this strange face mark. Soon, others around the small town where this is kind of centrally happening... Um, all seem to have that strange mark with some strange behavior to boot. Um, and people throughout uh, some government contacts, whenever Quartermass tries to like, be like, contact the admin assistant of the nearby minister to get some answers, that administrative assistant has a mark. Mm. Now, this village is around a plant that is top secret, uh, like a facility, mm -hmm. not like a triffid plant <laughs> right no yeah i get you okay um and it was involved in a project to make some kind of synthetic food um not soylent green mm. <laughs> just to put it out there quatermass notices that um there are gases released from this plant uh things like ammonia hydrogen nitrogen and it's all being pumped into some sort of nearby dome um they go to investigate this dome and inside, in vats, they find a thick, black, deadly, corrosive slime. They've also discovered that there is a, an invisible asteroid mm -hmm. orbiting Earth and discharging these meteorites. Um, whenever 
the asteroid gets to the certain like ellipsis where these meteorites would specifically land in northern England. Got it. You know what's great about invisible asteroids? <laughs> you never see them coming. <laughs> They're cheap. Oh. <laughs> I like mine joke better. <laughs> Quatermass concludes that this like dome with this like black liquid which also kills a member of his team by the way um is a similar idea to his oxygen dome on the moon um except this atmosphere is for an alien from one of saturn's moons Hmm. this um alien travels by asteroid to a new planet sends down meteorites filled with this like ammonia gas so pieces of it can live inside uh, and when these meteorites are opened, um, this being will possess people mm. and control them through a collective consciousness. Okay. So <laughs> it's a little more complicated than this, but they do literally blow up this ammonia dome with a bazooka. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so that effectively destroys any of the alien creatures that would have been with inside but people are still marked and still being controlled it's determined that quatermass and dr pew need to go to the asteroid to blow it up armageddon style right (laughs) um because they are the only people with the scientific knowledge that know what to do when they blow up up an invisible asteroid yes yeah so they go up they plan to use um their last remaining rocket from their moon base plan uh, this rocket is named Quatermass 2. Because Quatermass 1 blew up? Yes. Got it. <laughs> and they're going to use the uh, like nuclear fission reactor thing from the rocket to blow up the asteroid. Got it. But once they get up onto the asteroid, Quatermass realizes that Pew himself is marked and would have been marked at the very beginning. Oh, no. So they uh, they have a fight and... Hugh takes a gun and tries to shoot Quatermass, mm-hmm. misses, and um, the recoil pushes him off into space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the idea of that makes me laugh so hard. Like, he's a math genius, but he doesn't understand recoil and the way space works. <laughs> I like that somehow the gun is still able to operate. Yes. Though, like, somehow it's still able to ignite gunpowder in space. So Quatermass detonates the rocket on the asteroid and heads back to Earth um, after the asteroid is destroyed. And anyone who has been marked, including his future son-in-law, is saved because um, there's no, like, collective consciousness controlling them anymore. Got it. I could stay awake just to hear Quatermass 2 was very popular. It kind of did everything BBC was hoping it would. On average, across six episodes, they had 8.2 million viewers. Wow. I mean, you know, I guess it is like you you could either watch this ITV or not watch anything. But still, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Now, some modern critics like uh, Kim Newman have noted that this is almost like the British invasion of the body snatchers. Yes. But because of that British perspective on like, 
you know, yes, the Cold War, but in the 1950s, I guess there was growing resentment about bureaucracy. That's all pretty key in here as well, because Quatermass keeps getting stonewalled by people in the military and the government who have this mark on them. You can see that like dislike of bureaucracy like continue through British culture for like a really long time. Like it's in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in the late seventies. It's in Brazil in the mid eighties. Like that's like a running gag in British culture for, for a long time in the post-war era. Mm-hmm. So um, that's Quatermass too. Um, I think it's very interesting that you have this government conspiracy with aliens, secret government facilities being used by aliens who have infiltrated the government and the military to pretty high levels. We've seen stuff like this before on the podcast, um, but I, I do like that for Quatermass, similar to the first TV serial, signs and appeals to humanity are still kind of our way out. Right. The comparison to Invasion of the Body Snatchers is really interesting, um, particularly because Quatermass 2 aired before Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the movie, was a thing. You know, and I think the other movies we've seen that have similar plots as well just show that this was like a general idea that was in the air in the culture of the time, like in that paranoid Cold War culture. A big difference that you can see right away is that like in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it starts in this small town and then it never really gets farther than that. It gets everyone in this small town, but then like it gets defeated at the end of the day before it can go too far. It doesn't get defeated. Well, Oh, well, yeah, to be fair. Okay. Yeah. The new ending. Yeah. Yeah. They're about to defeat it. Yes. Um, Whereas in Quatermass 2, like it infiltrates the government which is something that you don't quite see in Invasion of the Body Snatchers because of, like, American movies not wanting to, like, undermine... Authority? uh, Yeah, undermine American faith in their institutions quite yet. You need to, like, get to the 70s before Americans want to do that. you need to get to the Vietnam War before uh, that becomes a major theme. Whereas the, like, willingness to sort of criticize the government here... I think probably ties into the fact that like a lot of British people were really dissatisfied with their government in the mid to late Mm -hmm. fifties. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a, in a moment, but to sort of move things over to talking about the film version of Quatermass two, it's worth noting that hammers adaptation of the Quatermass experiment. uh, That movie came out in the summer of 1955 And then the TV Quatermass 2 came out in like fall of 1955. So it was almost kind of like a, like a recap (laughs) that people could go see. Um, And Quatermass experiment was so successful for Hammer that they bought the rights for a movie adaptation of Quatermass 2 before it even aired on the BBC. Now, as you mentioned earlier, Nigel Neal had been very unhappy with the first Quatermass film, uh, partially because he didn't make any extra money on the sale of mm-hmm. the rights to Hammer. Like, he just got paid for writing the first one, and that was it. Um, because the BBC owns that idea. Right, exactly. Secondly, he didn't like it because of the changes made to the story in the process of adaptation. Um, and then 
primarily he just had like an immense dislike of American actor Brian Donlevy as Quatermass. He didn't like that they'd made the character American, which was something that Hammer did in order to get the movie sold in America. Um, He also didn't like the way that changed Quatermass's character from being like this like thoughtful, intelligent, like, I don't know, Jean-Luc Picard type in the tv series to brian donlevy's version who's very like no nonsense and doesn't give a fuck about anything and even though like in our episode on quatermass experiment we noted that that made quatermass a more interesting character like that the most interesting thing in the movie was the fact that like once the monster is destroyed he's just like all right well back to work without really like any kind of care for anything yeah that the whole adventure comes across as being like an inconvenience to him but regardless nigel neal did not like that shit uh so with the fact that he'd been so successful had produced all these successful shows for the bbc by this point as you said he was basically the name at the bbc by this point he was able to exert pressure to um have more control and influence this time around so he was able to make money on the deal this time and most importantly he basically got it provisioned so that um he would write the adaptation okay so um he wrote the first draft of the screenplay for quatermass 2 for hammer and you know got paid by anthony hines for that and and so on um as we kind of hinted last week this movie was basically made around the same time as curse of frankenstein um but at least it First, this was seen as the more like important production. Yeah, it's they made a ton of money. Yeah, like like Quatermass had been a huge success. So this is their their big movie. And and Curse of Frankenstein was seen as more of like an experiment almost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Subsequent drafts of the script were worked on by Val Guest, who had been the director of the first film and returns to direct this one as well. Uh, In between, he had made four movies. Uh, including the musical It's a Wonderful World and the comedy Carry On Admiral. Guest found Neil's script to be too long. Sure. He's writing for a miniseries, so. Yeah, and also um, he found it to be too heavy on like big, talky, philosophical speeches. Um, So Guest like cut the script down a whole ton, got rid of all the speechifying, kind of focused it on the action um, because Quatermass 2 was going to be 85 minutes long as opposed to, like, I don't know how long the serial is, but it's like, what, like five? Six episodes. Six episodes, and they're like an hour long each? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so so that's that's like... That's a lot. That's that's a lot. lot. It's six hours. Um, And we're going down to a little under an hour and a half. So we got to cut some shit neil anyways um the other thing that guest did as he was rewriting it was tailoring it for the realistic directing style that he knew he was going to use that he had already used on the first movie guest felt that using this really realistic cinema verite kind of style helped ground these kinds of films in reality so that the sci-fi aspects were more like popped out more right Mm -hmm. They submitted the script to the BBFC, uh, who, of course, objected to several elements in it. Um, They actually insisted on a whole scene getting cut. And Hammer agreed, I think, in a case of like, 
pick your battles kind of thing. What I find kind of funny is that that scene is in the TV version, like wholesale. Like it was allowed to air on TV, but the BBFC would not allow it in movie theaters, which I think is kind of funny. So much to Neil's chagrin, uh, Brian Donlevy returns to play Quatermass. Um, His reprisal of the role here actually makes him the only actor to have played the character in a film twice. Neil complained about Don Levy's alcoholism, uh, claiming that he couldn't stand up on his own, that he had to be fed his lines by cue cards, that he frequently couldn't remember what movie he was in or what character he was playing. And Neil blamed Don Levy's issues remembering lines with the reason for like while his good speeches got cut. Director Val Guest uh, strongly disputes Neil's account of events. Yeah, Neil is not an objective party here. Mm. Uh, while Guest acknowledges that like Don Levy was an alcoholic and that he was basically not sober when they were making the movie, um, Guest says that Don Levy acted professionally, he knew his lines, he took direction well, and was very easy to work with. So a little bit of he said, he said going on there. Um, with regards to Don Levy's performance. There are a number of characters from the TV serial who are cut from the movie, uh, most notably like Quatermass's daughter is not a thing in yeah. the movie. Um, but ironically, there are some characters from Quatermass Experiment who aren't in the TV version who have been added to the movie sequel. Oh, does his assistant March come back? Yes. Oh, cool. Um, but also the character of Inspector Lomax... Uh, from the first movie mm-hmm. comes back. Um, he was played by Jack Warner in the first movie, but he was unavailable to reprise the role this time. So they recast him with actor John Longdon, who had been a silent film star years before. Uh, Neil actually approved of this recasting. He preferred Longdon's more authoritarian take on Inspector Lomax to the original film's like more casual, friendly police officer. I don't know much about film (laughs) the way that things work behind the scenes but it's pretty rare for a screenwriter or someone adapting something to the screen to have a say over who gets cast that's right and sometimes that can lead to like some grumblings but it's kind of like an understandable grumble Uh, I feel like Nigel is getting a little too big for his britches here. Well, the other thing is just a difference between like, I think probably at the BBC, he was now used to like getting his own way. We ain't in the BBC here, my friend. Right. And he wasn't used to the fact that like screen, like the writer on movie sets, for one thing, the writer is usually not on set. Yes. And usually the writer's job is kind of done once they start shooting. Um, writers are not treated the same way for film as they are for like TV or even, um, for plays like on theater, the writer is King. Yeah. Right. Uh, in film, like nobody gives a shit about you, my dude. Like, and that's unfortunate because obviously like the strength of a film starts with how good its story is. And I'm not condoning the poor treatment of writers in the film industry, but like, it's one of the reasons why, like, I really doubt. Uh, Neil's account of Brian Donlevy on set because it's like you probably weren't on set most of the time I'm gonna trust the director who was working with him every day you know what I mean yeah anyways um other people in the cast include comedian Sid James 
who would later become known for his roles in the Carry On series of comedies. Um, he was cast in a comic relief role as a reporter to like lighten up the story a bit. At the time this movie was made, his notoriety would mostly be from his role in the BBC radio and television comedy series Hancock's Half Hour. Another uh, supporting actor in this movie is actor Brian Forbes. He would go on to become like a very important British filmmaker, frequently collaborating with actor Richard Attenborough. Forbes wrote and directed films like King Rat and the original version of The Stepford Wives. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also head of EMI Films from 1969 to 1971. Another character actor in the movie, Percy Herbert, is often called one of the most recognizable faces in post-war British cinema. Uh, You know, never was a star. He's just like a character actor who's in everything, Uh, often playing like soldiers. Okay. Um, But he's the kind of thing where like if you've seen British movies from like the 50s, 60s or 70s, you've seen this guy. So we've probably seen him. Right. Another bit player in this movie's cast is actor Michael Ripper. Uh, who has the distinction of appearing in more Hammer films than any other actor, but just always, like, in bit parts. Like, he drives, like, the carriage, or, like, he serves as someone's, like, footman, or whatever. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, once again, Guest's goal as director was to make the film feel as realistic as possible, using cinema verite techniques like handheld cameras, um, lots of location shooting, and, like, very, like, stark cinematography. The film's budget was 92,000 pounds, which was over double what the original Quatermass Experiments budget was. The BBC series was around 70,000. Okay. So. Yeah, the first movie had been, I think, 40,000 pounds. I will also note that 92,000 pounds is like 30% more than what was spent on Curse of Frankenstein, which was like 65,000 pounds or something like that. Yeah. So like clearly this was the bigger production of the two. Um, The high budget here was the result of Hammer pre-selling this movie in America to United Artists who bought the American rights for 64,000 pounds. And this practice of pre-selling their films uh, would become Hammer's like standard operating procedure from this point on, which meant that the American market was very important to them. Mm -hmm. This higher budget would enable like greater location shooting. Um, They found a like town that was being built or had just finished being built uh, to play the like small town in the movie. They did all kinds of like really elaborate outdoor shooting stuff. Um, They also became one of the first films to ever shoot in the house of Lords uh, for a scene in this movie. And, They also utilized sound stages at Elstree Studios, which was notable as up till now Hammer's like whole economic thing was making films cheaply by like renting out like country houses, like big manor houses and building their sets in them rather than using actual studios. Yeah. They're like, okay, if if we're going all out, we need to actually do this, like pull up our big boy pants and do this. Right. So Quatermass 2 was released on May 24th, 1957 with an X certificate from the BBFC. And then it was released in September of that year in the U.S. by United Artists under the name Enemy from Space. The movie received mixed reviews at the time, which are probably best 
summed up by this quote from the Daily Telegraph, who said, it's all good grisly fun if this is the sort of thing you enjoy. (laughs) That's why people are here, Ben. Right. The film itself was a financial success, but not anything near on the order of Curse of Frankenstein, which made its budget back 30 times over and became the most profitable movie produced by a British studio at that time. So... Hammer's like, okay, we know what we got to do. Yeah, the immense disparity in the box office between the two films taught Hammer the lesson that science fiction is over. Gothic horror is what the people want. Um, So even though there was a third Quatermass series on the BBC, uh, Quatermass in the Pit, in 1958, Hammer didn't produce a film adaptation of that until 1967 because they had better things to be doing. Modern critics are also like kind of divided on this movie. Um, Some people consider it to be like the worst of the Quatermass films. Um, Other people think it's really good. Like it's all kind of over the map. Um, As you noted, uh, there are those comparisons to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Kim Newman noted that a big difference between the two is Invasion of the Body Snatchers is kind of vague enough that it can mean anything to anyone, uh, which we noted when we watched it. Whereas Quatermass 2 is like a very specific critique of the conservative government of Anthony Eden, whose government was highly criticized by the British people at the time for its handling of the 1956 Suez crisis, Mm. which is generally seen as being like poor. (laughs) It's that event is generally seen as marking the end of Britain's relevance as a world power. Yeah. Basically, like if you want to date the end of the British Empire, it's the Suez crisis and Eden's government's handling of it. Um, So there are like government figures in the movie who are thought to be like pretty direct, like satires Mm -hmm. of people in Eden's government. So with that in mind, this movie has like a much more like pointed critique than Invasion of the Body Snatchers did. Uh, today, you can get Quatermass 2 on Blu-ray from Shout Factory. Well, folks, if you want to watch along, head over to shoutfactory.com, <laughs> I guess. Um, you're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss Quatermass 2 from 1957, directed by Val Guest. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just finished watching Quatermass 2 from 1957, directed by Val Guest. Ben, first thoughts? This was fun. I liked this. Yeah, they definitely spent a ton of money on this. Yes, holy smokes, can you see the higher budget? We've got extras galore. We've got, like, machine gun battles. we got explosions. we got, like, miniatures. We have giant sludge monsters, uh, lots of location shooting, lots of matte paintings, special effects. Yes. Honestly, I'm just really impressed they managed to book Hedera. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, huh? <laughs> yeah, this this was a pretty good movie. Um, Let's talk about 
what story all of those special effects are servicing. Absolutely. Um, so it's pretty dang close to the BBC series. No wild deviations. Yeah, it's not there's... like Dracula shows up or anything. Right. There's some like characters switched around because I think there was a a second professor working with Quatermass in the TV show, and he seems to have been like mostly replaced by Lomax. Yeah, which makes sense. But let's dive in. Sure. So Professor Quatermass is returning to, I believe the, the name of their group is the Rocket Group. Yes, the British Rocket Group. <laughs> um, to their base, and he nearly has an accident from a couple just kind of driving all over the road. Uh, the woman in the relationship is trying to get this man to a hospital because he has some weird, strange gash on his face. Um, and she's like, yeah, it came from these rocks. And she hands the rocks to Quatermass. And so he helps them get on their way. And then he makes it back to the uh, to the base. At the same time, the base is recording tons of these small meteorites falling and then slowing to Earth. Not usually how falling works. Yes. Quatermass shares that they've been cut funding for uh, their moon base (laughs) that they've been trying to build. But he becomes pretty intrigued by these meteorites. He has the meteorites that the woman first gave him. And they're like, oh, these are hollow. And like, it's uniform. That's a little strange. So he takes his assistant Marsh to the area where the woman said that they experience these meteorites um to investigate and they find a huge facility at this place called the winterden flats so in the investigations uh they find like i said this big plant facility and quatermass is pretty like shocked because they have the same kind of domes that he's been planning on using for his moon base Mm -hmm. He's not upset about, like, his intellectual property being Mm. taken. It's more like, why do they have a base of operations that would look like you're trying to colonize a planet in a hostile atmosphere? Right. (laughs) And, like, the British government just told Quatermass, like, they don't have the money for him to do his moon base. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. They do find some intact meteorites, uh, one of which kind of, like explodes in Marsh's face, causing this strange mark on his face um, that looks like a big red gash uh, with like a V shape. And Quatermass is like, it looked like for a minute, like some big black bubble came and hit your face. But they don't really have time to figure out what's going on because um, a bunch of guards come out. Quatermass is escorted out and Marsh is taken. Because no one is answering Quatermass's questions, uh, he goes to the nearby town of Winterden Flats, um, that is where all of the construction workers live, and tries to get some answers there. Everywhere in this town is like, loose lips, sink ships, Mm -hmm. except regarding the plant. Um, You will lose your job if you talk to anyone, even each other, about what goes on here. The people in the town come across less as like, we're suspicious members of a horrible conspiracy and more just as like, well, well, no, sir, you see, it's, it's all top secret. So we can't tell you, we've got to do our patriotic duty. You can't talk about such things, you know, kind of thing. Like they've just bought into the fiction. Getting frustrated by being kind of stonewalled at every turn, Quatermass goes to 
an old friend, Inspector Lomax. Uh, you see, because this town doesn't have any police. Um, so he goes to Lomax and he's like, what do you know about Winterton Flats? And Lomax is like, it's top secret. I don't really know anything. <laughs> but if you want to learn more, you should talk to the member of parliament, Vincent Broadhead, who has been kicking up some dirt around it, is upset about the money that's going there without any kind of clear results or knowledge about what's going on there, that sort of thing. So Quatermass goes to Broadhead and Broadhead is like, yeah, I'm suspicious about this money and I get to go on a tour today. Um, and Quatermass gets to join in on this tour. As they tour the plant, there's something clearly wrong. Um, everyone, you know, there's other people on this tour and their guide, who also appears uh, to the camera to have a gash on his arm, just keeps like side stepping any kind of questions about what's going on here they're like so this is to make synthetic food well uh, what is in these pipes food okay but where does it come from the plant yeah all your questions will be answered at the end of the tour yeah quite a is able to step away but he can't find marsh with the tour group they nearly get trapped in this part of the facility um where, like, the tour guide nearly tries to restrain Quatermass to keep him from escaping. And uh, it's because the people would be infected in this location. Uh, because it's been made clear that, like, people go on these tours and they definitely come back, but they are no longer asking any questions. Yeah, they come back and they're just like, oh, yeah, it's a completely normal top secret plant. Stop asking questions. Yeah. Things escalate when Broadhead also snuck away from the tour group because he really wanted to see what was inside some of these tubes and um he comes back out just completely covered in this black corrosive ooze yeah he's and like in black and white it, it looks like he's covered in blood and <laughs> leaving like bloody hand marks everywhere he's like the guy at the end of robocop sure <laughs> So Quatermass manages to escape the plant despite the guards shooting at him. Just all these guns. Um, and he escapes back to Lomax. And he's like, Lomax, no, really, you gotta listen to me. Like, Broadhead is dead. Uh, I barely escaped with my life. And there's like this strange corrosive material that your scientists need to examine, etc. And Lomax is like convinced but he's like, okay, but like, let me talk to my commissioner because this is like way above my pay grade. Yeah. And there's also a thing where like, because Broadhead's an MP, right? So like him being dead's a big deal. But in the newspaper, it says that he, he's gone on a trip overseas. Mm -hmm. So like that starts them to realize that like. There's a big conspiracy. Yeah. This goes a lot farther and further up than maybe they thought. Um, and that gets confirmed when Lomax goes to his commissioner and sees that same strange mark on his wrist. So they know that they need to get the word out, but there's not really many avenues to do so. Luckily, there's a reporter bothering the cops at this station. His name is Jimmy. And they're like, Jimmy, have we got a story for you? Now, Jimmy is the comedic relief. And so he's like playing junk here, but he manages to kind of sober up hearing the story. And then they take him to the rocket group base to kind of show him more of these like uh, meteorites that have been opened. Um, and they decide, okay, well, let's go to Winterden Flats to speak to the people who work there. 
we get there just in time for a big old party. And uh, that gets interrupted by our protagonists showing up and being like, no, really, listen, and like asking questions. But it also gets interrupted when one of these meteorites falls through the roof. Now, the people who work at the plant are like, oh, no, don't worry, like that. It's rare that these things fall this close to the town, but um, no, it's totally normal. <laughs> and one girl gets so close that it opens and um, infects her. Um, and so now the people are getting riled up. The guards from the nearby plant arrive to take her away. Um, and they notice Jimmy on the phone with his editor telling him the story and he gets shot. Yeah. Just completely riddled. So Quatermass and Lomax head to the plant to figure out what the fuck's going on. Um, and the mob follows these villagers, these construction <laughs> workers have riled themselves up and now they have a big mob. This is where the mob budget that didn't go to Curse <laughs> of Frankenstein went. Yes. So um, Quatermass manages to infiltrate uh, by going under into disguise because uh, all of the guards are wearing like face masks and stuff. Yeah. And they kind of conclude that like, oh, no, these face masks are so they can breathe like the ammonia mixture because they are infected by this strange alien being. Further to that, Quatermass sees um, he gets to like where like they're one of their big domes. He looks in and that's when we see Hedera. Yeah, a big um, sludge monster just kind of roiling around in the dome he's like oh fuck everyone else in the dome starts to notice Quatermass not doing work but before (laughs) they can act on it there's a warning sound because the mob has arrived at the gates of the plant and um there's some clash clashing of heads some gunshots and all that but the mob overtakes the guards and um we have a central group with Quatermass and Lomax taking over a central building where you can control what kind of chemicals get pumped into one of the domes. Now there's a mix of like ammonia, methane, hydrogen, blah, 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 but then also oxygen. Uh, Quatermass concludes from that that uh, they're trying to acclimate the creature in there to our atmosphere. So he turns down all of the other chemicals and just is pumping in oxygen to try to poison it basically i'll take very small doses of iocane powder until i build up a resistance (laughs) meanwhile quatermass's other assistant named brand uh was told to launch their rocket at a uh asteroid which they had discovered at this point it's invisible because it's in like the dark side of the planet, like in the shadow. It's not just like an invisible thing. But and that's it, probably what's the case in the BBC serial as well. Sure. It just every synopsis said that it was an invisible asteroid. So I was like, I don't know. But it's the same thing as in the serial where like the meteorites are being launched from this like orbiting asteroid. Yes. Now this rocket, they only have one and it's still kind of in development. Yeah. So it might just explode in the atmosphere or it might be able to reach its target. No one's really sure. And of course, it's it's nuclear powered. Yeah. But because Briand hasn't heard from Quatermass in like their agreed upon time, he's like, OK, time to launch the rocket. He gets ready and then he's just about to do this when Marsh comes in. Remember Marsh? Uh, he has that gash on his face and with some guards, 
they shoot up all of the scientists. Luckily, Brand manages to still hit the, like, launch button and uh, sacrifices himself, basically. <laughs> At the plant, um, they see that the rocket has launched, but it hasn't reached its target yet. Um, and the villagers there are getting pretty antsy. So quite a few of them take the deal that arrives to them over the intercom that uh, will let you see the dome. You can see what we're doing. Um, please just turn off the oxygen. <laughs> so these villagers go, much to the protestations of Quatermass, and uh, we hear their dying screams through the pipes. And uh, these bodies are then used to block the oxygen pipes. <laughs> their blood like leaks up through the pipes somehow. Yeah, it like backflows. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, now the remaining villagers kind of lose their temper. <laughs> And so they shoot at the dome with machine guns and anti-tank guns, and the dome explodes. Now, Quatermass didn't want this to happen because he didn't want whatever was in there to be released. Too late now, Quatermass. It reveals 150-foot-tall creatures, these sludge monsters, these heteras, if you will, uh, just starting to overtake the plant. It's not a blob. Like a blob, um, in the sense of like what we saw in um, X the Unknown. Like these are clearly like standing tall, sentient creatures. They aren't just rolling over things. Yeah, they're they're kaiju. They just yeah. happen to be sludge blob. Yeah, kaiju. So these creatures are overtaking the plant as our heroes escape. They manage to get to a safe place away when they look up as the rocket hits the asteroid. It lights up the sky and it seems to have an effect. It seems to have an effect on these creatures. Um, they've also now been exposed to oxygen for far too long. And these 150 foot tall kaiju creatures start to um, fall and, and die. Um, they also have someone with them who has a mark, and it fades away as well. It seems like people are returning back to normal. Yeah, it's like the end of the Avengers. And, well, not quite. Um, and Quatermass is like, yes, but how final is this? Well, pretty final, because... Uh, the movie ends. The movie is done. Yeah, between the manpower, the guns, the explosions, the sets... Uh, the fact that it's on location, um, even at like a gas refinery, on location in the countryside, map paintings, the creature suits, like they spent money. Yeah, you can really see the money on the screen here for sure. Which is cool because um, sometimes when people who are used to working on a tight budget get a ton of money in flux, uh, they don't always spend it in the most strategic way sure and they've clearly done that here yeah i think so i think that this movie's attempt to kind of put a question mark on the ending isn't as successful as like invasion of the body snatchers or other versions of this story that we've seen mm -hmm. because like if there was maybe someone who we saw who was a character who still had the mark after the asteroid was blown up like maybe or if we saw like another meteor land after they drive away or something but there's nothing really other than Quatermass's like own curmudgeonliness to make us think that this is not a a final fix listen he personally experienced the two separate attempts mm. of aliens trying to conquer earth i think he has deserved some skepticism sure fair enough 
This story feels very misanthropic to me, which fits with Quatermass. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of funny to me that like Nigel Neal didn't like the Don Levy version of Quatermass because it feels like this movie almost like leans in to all of the things that made the Don Levy version of Quatermass like unique from the TV version. Like interesting. I was feeling like his personality was lessened. Really? To me he just felt like so prickly and brusque in all of his dealings with everybody in this movie, like more so than the last one. Like he he feels like he cares about people more in that like mm-hmm. he's upset when bad things happen to people and he's not just concerned with his project but on the other hand he seems to basically have no time to listen to anyone tell him anything mm-hmm. like well to be fair everyone's trying to be like no like that's not real. But, like, but, no, it's top secret. Or... But also at his own scientists at his own base, when they're trying to like at the start of the movie or throughout the movie, come up to him and be like, hey, there's meteorites. He's like, shut the fuck up. I'm talking to you about my own shit right now. And then later he's like, oh, by the way, um, I was investigating a meteorite. And they're like, oh, we found meteorites, too. <laughs> you know, he... he does apologize for that, though, he... being so rude in the beginning. He's That's... like, I I mean, sorry, I, I just got off the call with Parliament <laughs> saying that we're wasting money and they took our money away. I, I apologize. That's true. He doesn't apologize to that secretary he does it to later in the movie, but like... Listen, that's when tensions are running high. <laughs> that's like minutes before the mob forms. You're either carrying out his orders or he's yelling at you. Yeah. And that kind of fits in with the story itself. Um, because like... This movie doesn't have, I think, a very high opinion of British society (laughs) on the whole. Okay. Like the people in this movie are either like blindly following orders, you know, like some people in uniform showed up to this town and they were like, don't tell anyone. It's top secret. And the people were like, okay, seems reasonable to us, (laughs) you know, and and same thing like the police. It's like, yeah, this is top secret. And I was like, all right, cool parliament hey this is top secret and parliament's like all right i guess people here either blindly follow orders they're like actively part of the problem like they've been taken over by aliens Mm -hmm. or they're like totally ineffectual like the mp who is you know wanting to put a stop to all this but like he tries you know broadhead tries but it's it's all too big for him to like actually deal with you know they they deal with him or once Quatermass actually gets some people to believe him, they very quickly just turn into like a blindly violent mob that mm-hmm. doesn't listen to reason, right? Like once the villagers believe him, you know, like Lomax is like, hey, I'm trying to use this car to get to London to get help. You guys should just stay at the village until I can get help. And they're like, no, we're going to hijack your car, turn it around, use it to get through the gates. And then we're going to march on a bunch of armed soldiers who have like machine guns with our pitchforks and clubs and, you know, have a have a good old fashioned uh, brawl. This movie has very little faith in any person who is not named Bernard Quatermass <laughs> or Lomax true. But like even Lomax is like, has to be brought around to Quatermass's side. He's the easiest one to do so because he's already worked with Quatermass before. Mm-hmm. But like if Quatermass hadn't come to Lomax, he would have just been like, Oh yeah, that place is top secret, which is fair. Like Quatermass is the hero of the story, but yeah. And I do think it, 
given the fact that so much of his success relies on people Kratomas can trust, mm. I appreciate that Lomax comes back and even Marsh uh, right. for like the beginning part and stuff. Um, I think that that was a very wise decision. Yeah, rather than like the kind of totally new supporting cast that he has in the TV version. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's worthwhile to like highlight how much more critical this movie is of British society than like these alien invasion takeover movies have been of American society. Like you compare this to like invaders from Mars, right? Which has the same kind of thing of like the aliens land and then they're gradually taking over people. Yeah. Um, in this movie, Bernard Quatermass, the head of the British rocket group, the guy who's been like leading the project to get Britain to the moon in the late fifties, who saved the earth from alien invasion and is like, I don't know, 60 something years old or something (laughs) like goes to, you know, all kinds of people being like, Hey, there's something going on. Aliens are taking over people's minds. And everybody's like, nah, Whereas in Invaders from Mars, like a five-year-old picks up the phone and is like, can I talk to the Secretary of Defense? And they're like, for sure. And he's like, hey, there's aliens in my town. And the general's like, well, shit, I guess we better get the army down there. And then we have 20 (laughs) minutes of stock footage of the army showing up until they fucking blast the damn aliens to hell at the end. Yeah. Yeah, so we've seen this kind of plot points of... uh alien taking over people who you know Mm -hmm. several times i think this movie did a fairly good job Mm -hmm. but part of that is because most of those other movies were like the alien arrives and is getting its footing yes where as in quitamass 2 it's been two years since they got their footing yes which i think makes this a much better movie because now they've like infiltrated positions of power and it's like this was happening all the time Quatermass and you didn't fucking notice because you were too concerned about your fucking atomic rocket to the moon or whatever yeah I mean it was more than a single rocket you know well the first rocket didn't go very well (laughs) now did it um so kind of speaking to Quatermass's personality Mm. I guess and his uh characterization Um, So I feel like it's quite different here. Well, not quite different, but it is different Mm. um, than in Experiment. Um, He's still that American brute, but he apologized, Mm -hmm. which was like a little out of character. He's far more questioning Mm. rather than just like, this is what's happening because this is what I've decided is happening. Right. Whether that's like our plan forward or what I think the conspiracy is. Mm Mm-hmm. And he seems just far more concerned about the people around him. Whereas in Experiment, he seemed colder. He, like, didn't have that much empathy for Karun. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas here, he's like, no, I need to get back to this plant to find Marsh. That's true. That's very true. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know if they're trying to do something with character development. I don't think so. I think it's just Neil kind of bringing what he believes Quatermass should be into this iteration. Sure. Yeah. And then that's mixing with Don Levy coming back and, you know, playing him the same way that he did before, mm-hmm. just with this different script. So that, you know, creates this sort of mix so that he doesn't feel, you know, like a totally different person. Right. Yeah. Like it's still recognizably Don Levy's Quatermass for sure. Yeah. Um, 
but I think you you do like make some really good points that way. I thought he was pricklier this time around, but I think it's mostly because like if anything, they use Quatermass's movie Quatermass's personality mostly to just keep this movie like running along at a very good clip. Like it's like how do you like condense six hours of TV down into like less than an hour and a half. Well, you do it by having a Quatermass who like speed walks into buildings and is like, all right, tell me what's going on. And then like the moment he knows what's going on is like, all right, well I'm speed walking to the next place. And then like speed walks into like a police commissioner's office (laughs) and they're like, or or into a police station. And he's like, I'm here to see Lomax. And they're like, Oh, well sign the book. He's like, Nope, just tell him I'm here. He'll know who I am. And they're like, okay, well we'll have a guy show you to his office. No, I know the way. And like, just, you know, like, yeah, they do do a fairly good job of condensing everything. I will say, Mm. I feel like it's mostly by just eliminating a lot of supporting characters. Yes. That being said, this movie feels less personal. Hmm. Like, yeah, the stakes are high, but it doesn't feel like I have a personal face to it in the same way that I had with Karun in Experiment. Yes. This is more of your like faceless stormtrooper enemy. Even to the point where most of the guards are wearing face masks. Right. Um, and the voice over the intercom has a slight, maybe German accent. Yes. Yes. Which I thought was funny because like. Of course, that must be the accent that you use in British movies to signal evil, because you can't use a British accent to (laughs) signal evil. It might just be the fact that it's like the voice coming through the intercom and it's like just like a tad difficult to understand them. But once you pointed it out as we watched the movie, all I could hear was German. Yeah, yeah. He sounds super German. I didn't really see the like loss of empire loss of relevancy suez canal crisis era stuff here in what it was saying about british society what i sort of saw here was sort of a criticism of the average british people as like sheep criticism of the government as being like ineffectual and sort of criticism of both as being like if i if i were to apply this movie as a metaphor pawns of the military industrial complex sure like there's a big plant with armed guards that's like we're top secret don't ask questions just do what you're told Mm -hmm. and give us tons of money and you know the people are like well hey it's it's giving us jobs and you know so it's good and parliament's like yeah i guess we'll just give them millions of pounds it's fine there's a mistrust of authority here Mm -hmm. that i feel is like new for British movies um, where in the past, like British movies have typically like depicted authority figures as being like very competent, but that mistrust of authority is in line with the philosophy we saw in curse of Frankenstein where like the rich and powerful don't give a shit about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I was also trying to think about this with like the Suez canal. Couldn't really see it. I could see a little bit of the same kind of warnings that we got in media when the war on terror mm. was started in Guantanamo Bay, yeah, that sort of thing. But and I think that's more speaking to like being blind to the military industrial complex. Yeah. And that's, and you know, there's a lot of culturally speaking, there's a lot of stories that you can tell in the cold war era that also worked in the war on terror era because the rhetoric of like, 
well, if you don't just blindly support the government, you must be one of the enemy is like the same for both eras. Yeah, I will say so. They never explicitly say where in England we are, where in the UK we are. In the BBC series, it says Northern Ireland. Mm. And the workers are, like, some of them have Irish accents. And when we interrupt the party, they are doing, like, Irish jigs. Yeah. And I don't think the movie's saying anything about it. Mm. I think it just is there. But um, I think it's worth noting that the Irish Republican Army was a thing in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Now, they weren't doing... Car bombs. Yeah, they weren't doing car bombs until, like, the 60s. And that's when, like, you get more of the history with, like, Bobby Sands and stuff like that. The Troubles. Yeah, the Troubles. Um. But they're active at this point um, because of some petitioning that's going on in Northern Ireland. Uh, And of course, like Irish independence has been an ongoing issue for people who live there since like a very, for the last few centuries. Yeah. Um, Even, yeah. So uh, I just think it's like worth putting out there that like, it's interesting that these military operations or like places where they do these types of experiments is happening on soil that is contested. I'm trying to be as like neutral as you neutral can. as possible. So, so you're sort of suggesting that like the movie's saying like, look at these like good Northern Irish people, subjects of the British empire. They're being corrupted into the enemy by <laughs> this alien force. The, uh, I'm not saying that at all. Of the Republic of Ireland. I'm thinking of it more in the sense of running these operations, um, like even the rocket group, which mm-hmm. has a fucking nuclear bomb that could explode upon launch right. on contested, some would say occupied land. Right. Now, on the other hand... Now, you say that it's Northern Ireland in the TV show. Yes. Which is why like your brain started connecting these dots. So I also have no idea where this is supposed to be set, but I will point out a couple of things that might disprove your reading. Um, <laughs> sure. I don't disproves kind challenge. of like challenge, like like just as an alternative, I guess. Yeah. So the road that they take to get to Winterton Flats, where the plant is, is um, the sign says it's the road to Carlisle, and Carlisle is a place in Wales, in Northern okay. Wales. And when we're at that, like, party in the village where they're doing the jig dancing, um, the waitress brings some Irish whiskey to a guy who ordered whiskey. And he's like, I ordered scotch. And she's like, well, all we have is Irish, so you're going to drink Irish. Um, So that, to me, suggests that these aren't Irish people. Um, Fair. I I did not understand a word some (laughs) of these people were saying. That's fair. Listen... (laughs) British movies don't have great sound mixing. Yeah. They just don't. That's just a truism. Now, I will say that if they are in Northern Wales or even like Northern England uh, or Southern Scotland, um, like that area of Britain, I think is generally like sort of stereotyped as being the like 
rough and tumble, rural, blue collar, mm. manual labor, like coal miney kind of area, I think. Like the British equivalent of like, I don't know, like, you know, Kentucky or something. Like, <laughs> you know, obviously the stereotypes are, are different, but it's still like, it's not the Southeast where all the civilized and cultured people are, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there is still something there to like the idea of the villagers representing like a very common folk, the, the, the people of the land who like are being taken advantage of by the like larger system that they're a part of mm -hmm. that they either like that they either follow blindly or turn on violently without much thought either. Like, either way, these people are not depicted as being, like, people who think for themselves. Mm -hmm. I will say that despite all of this, like, social commentary stuff, this movie feels old-fashioned compared to, like, say, Curse of Frankenstein. Which I know is weird to say because Curse of Frankenstein is, like, a gothic horror movie set in, like, the 1800s. But even compared to, like, X the Unknown... This doesn't feel like it's pushing boundaries as much. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's iterating on a type of story that we've seen a lot through the 1950s in cinema, even if we haven't seen like a British rendition of it yet. But more specifically, the thing that feels old fashioned about this movie in 1957 is how like literally old everyone in it is. Like Lomax That's and fair. Quatermass are both like 70. Like all of our heroes, you know, there's like one villager who's like a handsome 20 something who gets a machine gun at mm -hmm. one point and gets to do all the action stuff, but he doesn't have like a name or a storyline or a girlfriend or anything. Yeah. The closest would maybe be Marsh and brand who are maybe like mid thirties. And they're like minor characters at best, right? Like they don't have arcs. No. Like they're just there to like push buttons. You know, that was remarkable to me because like even in, some American movies where we've had like the old professor and the old general, they usually try to throw in like some young people who, you know, the audience can identify with. And in the American movies, like we're, we're right on the cusp of it. We haven't really quite gotten there yet, but we're just on the cusp of like American horror movies sort of changing forever to a model of the only people in horror movies are teenagers. Yeah. I'm not surprised that we haven't really seen that kind of trend in British cinema mm. yet. I feel like probably because of that um, adherence to old establishment authority, mm. uh, British films seem to always have older people. Like yeah. we even saw that with Curse of Frankenstein with... 40-something Peter Cushing playing 20-something Frankenstein. Yeah. And yeah, it just being like... I don't think it's like them being like fuck them teenagers man like i think it's more just this is how we cast people but you know curse of frankenstein managed to, to like feel younger in the sense that like i guess because of like the sex i don't know like it just felt like it had more of like a a youth a more youthful pulse to it sure. or at least that like it was targeted to a more youthful audience in a way i think what you are finding is perhaps the way it was uh, fresh, mm -hmm. you know, fresh material, pushing boundaries in that way. Because I would agree that um, Quatermass 2 doesn't feel as fresh. I think it makes sense as the next iteration of Quatermass's story. Yeah. Um, the fact that it's more about invasion than 
having that personal connection, I think is a, a failing of it, but it makes sense to kind of expand or rather up the stakes. What it doesn't feel like is it doesn't feel like the next step in like the evolution of sci-fi horror, the way that we saw from Quatermass experiment to X, the unknown, yes. like X, the unknown was pushing those boundaries even more. Quatermass two does not feel like the next step in that line. If anything, it's like Quatermass experiment is this sci-fi horror movie that splits into like two branches and one is sci-fi horror and that branch goes to X the unknown and the other is like sci-fi thriller and that branch goes here to Quatermass 2 because like this really didn't feel like a horror movie to me it felt to me much more like a thriller because of like you have the paranoia and you have the like trying to get to people in power but like nobody believes you or like nobody is on your side actually which is a very like cold war thriller kind of thing you see it in you know movies like mirage or whatever um you have like secrets being uncovered and hidden um but then the other thing about it that like pushes it more towards thriller for me than horror is like you have chases and gun battles and explosions like the third act of this movie feels more like james bond than like horror sure. you know like Yes, definitely feels like James Bond. I feel like you were starting to move towards saying that this isn't horror. Yeah. I think it is because this invasion has been here for two years. It's established and you don't really know who you can trust. It's nice when the uh, mark is on the face, but <laughs> you, you don't know. So you don't know who to trust. Um and your only hope of survival comes from these villagers who you don't really trust anyways. But like... And like brute force with that. It, I, which also I will point out that like this movie continues the hammer Quatermass tradition of like dispensing with solving the problem with humanism and science and instead solving the problem with blowing things up. Just as like a minor note. Yeah, I, I was missing that feeling of like human resiliency that we got in Quatermass experiment. Yeah. Like they don't fly to the asteroid in this one. They just blow it up with a nuke. I, I really wanted them to fucking fly and have to drill and Bruce Willis have to stay behind. Yeah. I think not going to the asteroid was a big part of like Val guests, like keeping it realistic yes. feeling. Yeah. But like the thing is, is very rarely does this movie feel like it's trying to scare me with any of this. Yes, like, it's scary to think of, like, a world where you can't trust anyone, but Quatermass's reaction to not being able to trust anyone is very, like, rarely any kind of reaction of fear or being on the run from people or any of the reaction we saw in our heroes in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Instead, like Quatermass's reaction to being stonewalled and finding out he can't trust people is to like yell at them and then like speed walk out of the room <laughs> and shooting nukes at things. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking of the more somber moments where by everyone, I mean, Jimmy Lomax and Quatermass staring at the girl with the meteorite mm. and being like, put it down slowly yeah. and like it being so tense there. That was a very good moment of tension for sure. Um, when Broadhead dies mm. 
mm-hmm. and he literally like has a death rattle on screen. Yeah, that was very good as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, like there are things with the tension that I feel like could be synonymous with the tension that you might feel in a thriller, but I think that their intention was still horror. I think I wish more had been done with Marsh. Yeah. Like instead of just like he gets taken away at the start and then he kind of comes back at the end as a like, remember me? Um, I feel like he could have been where you could place that human face to it. Yeah. And and, show him struggling. Yeah. And have the horror of like either being taken over by something or the horror of like seeing this guy who you trust because he's your young like protege, like turn against you. Yeah. Right. Like that really spooky moment in invasion of the body snatchers where the chick gets taken over. Right. Um, I don't, I wonder if they felt that that would make it too similar to Karoon in the original movie, but like we never really get to know Karoon as a character. They don't even like give him all of the like complicated family drama shit that he had (laughs) in the TV show version. So like, I feel like that could have been really effective. I think if there was more of a human face, to what was happening, I would feel this was more of a horror movie, but because it's kind of like Quatermass and some guys with bazookas versus the stormtroopers at the fucking like plant, like running around, you know, shooting each other with machine guns, like that doesn't feel like a horror movie to me. So that's why I was thinking this was like more of a thriller. It's definitely still sci-fi, obviously. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I don't have a spot picked out on the list for this because I wasn't thinking it would rank. So I am interested in like hearing you kind of lay out if you have any more like thoughts on like why this is horror for you. Um, okay. So I think kind of key to it is how reactive Quatermass has to be. He's scrambling to try to react and fight and figure out what's going on. How deep does this go? Oh shit. It gets to like the newspapers, even who in parliament is affected and is constantly like guess being stonewalled because no one's like believing you or someone in power has been taken over, but also just like what options do you as an individual have Mm. to that point? Actually, it's kind of interesting that he has to rely on like, the society of villagers of these blue collar workers and like social power. And I mean, I will still point out that one of his options as an individual is to order a guy who works for him to shoot a nuke. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the problems that like (laughs) undermines the idea that like Quatermass is on his own and, you know, has no way out. Right. Like, um, where I was looking for mm. ranking is I first went to Quatermass experiment at 15 which is very high. And I feel like experiment is better mm-hmm. because of that human element through Karoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Quatermass is colder. Mm. Looking below there, though, uh, the thing from another world at 23 caught my eye. An invasion of the body snatchers is right below that as well. And I started to think, like, how do I feel about this compared to these other invasion movies? And I felt like, you know, the, th- <laughs> the thing about the thing that continues to stand out is how smoothly the military personnel operate. Mm, sure, they're very much of, like a team. Exactly. Yeah, they are, you know, they have to react quickly 
um, to Carrot Face coming through the door, but they managed through their teamwork to overcome it. Whereas Cratermass is like constantly scrambling. Um, he tries to get the reporter in, he gets shot and like just completely like riddled. Um, he tries to send Lomax to go to his trusted people in Parliament. He gets stopped by the mob. Like, anything that he tries to do, even keep the thing in the domes, uh, that goes sideways. So he's completely out of control. So I thought that that would kind of put it above thing from another world. Um, also, creature design, for the record. <laughs> uh, this hetero-looking thing, it looked really well done, really creepy, and much more chilling than Carrot Head. So I, I think this is way too high. Um, I think that all the things you're saying about like Quittermass not having control of his situation is something that you can say for characters in thrillers like really sure. easily. Like the idea that like you, there's nowhere you can turn and that you're being stonewalled and that like all your efforts to try to like get out of the situation like fail. Like how is that different from like Cary Grant in North by Northwest? Um, you know, how is that different from the Manchurian candidate or, you know, the trial even? Yeah. Well, full disclosure, I would put the trial as like a horror thriller hybrid, but interesting. I never thought of it that way, but if that gives me an excuse to talk about the trial on this show, I'll take it. (laughs) Um, but I will say that the trial is more horror than Quatermass 2. And I think that The Thing, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, X the Unknown, these are all more horror than Quatermass 2. Like, yeah, Quatermass is, like, scrambling and shit, but, like, you know, for one thing, if they had pulled off the, like, is it the end ending a bit better than they do, like, you know, if they had all gotten in the Jeep at the end and Lomax was like, well, Quatermass, I think that's the end of it. And Quatermass was like, is it though? And then they drove away, but you saw that there was like a V on the back of Lomax's neck or something. Yeah. Like that would have been a chilling ending, but instead it's like, we nuked the asteroid. All the heteros fell over dead. All the marks disappeared on everyone. Like conclusively, the evidence says we're good. Quatermass is like, are we? And everyone's like, "Eh, yeah, I think we are. And like, then the movie ends. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't really pull off that same feeling that invasion of the body snatchers does. Like, even though the alien infiltration has progressed to like way higher levels than it has in invasion of the body snatchers, somehow it feels less terrifying. And I think it's maybe because the thing about invasion of the body snatchers is while the invasion doesn't progress past a small town, the advantage of using the small town as the story is that personal effect that like, yeah, this is the sheriff who I've known my whole life, or this is the dentist I always go to. And now suddenly they're weirdos. And that I think is one of the things that makes the difference between like that horror feel and that thriller feel where like in a thriller, you're battling against like a shadowy force, a corrupt government, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, like fucking captain America doesn't know who to trust in the winter soldier that ain't a horror movie, right? Whereas like in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the horror is, is, is yes, it's coming from like, you can't trust these people, but it's also just coming from like your bowling buddy turning around and being like, join us, Sarah, or whatever, right? Yeah, I, I'm thinking of that moment in 
body snatchers where it's on his face in the bridge mm, and yeah. he's like having a full on panic attack. And at no point is Quatermass ever that extremely out of control. Mm-hmm. He's more like, you know, the guy on the bridge in Invasion of the Body Snatchers is like, please, please help. Listen to me. You got to listen to me. They're coming for us. They're coming for you. Whereas Quatermass is like, hey, you idiots. Listen to me. You got to listen to me. Fucking morons. They're coming for you. It's a little bit of a different tone. Yeah. I will say Quatermass 2 is pretty deadly, I guess. A dude gets full on run over. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of dead people in this. I think this needs to go below Curse of Frankenstein as well, Mm -hmm. which feels like it's pushing the envelope with horror way more than Quatermass 2 does. I'm sort of, if we're going to rank this, which like, you know, I initially wasn't going to, I think we need to be looking more down in the zone of some of the other like alien invasion telepathy kind of movies that we have so like invaders from mars yeah invaders from mars 101 um so invaders from mars i think this is better than for the reason that i you know said earlier that like (laughs) invaders from mars is fucking silly (laughs) on the other side of things um I need to look a couple of these up because some of these 50s sci-fi movie titles are like not descriptive at all. It's like, it came from outer space, not of this earth. Those both sound like the same movie. What movies are these? Uh, It came from outer space with Jack Arnold, is Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, that's the one with the beholder in a cave. Uh, Not of this earth is the one with the electrical vampires where the guy has the, the sunglasses. Oh, X-ray eyes. Yeah. Um, I feel like we can go below Not of This Earth if we are to rank it because it at least has that ending of like the man in black still being around. Right. What was the one where Lee Van Cleef sells out humanity? What What was that one called? Isn't it called It Conquered the Earth? Yeah, and that's at 49. Okay, thank you. Yeah, because the joke was that like, What's her face? The Beverly Garland like saw Bula and was like that conquered the earth. Okay. And that I think is better than this. And we agreed not of this earth is better than this. So I'm looking more around the the zone of it came from outer space. I think I'm okay with putting this above like attack of the crap monsters or revenge of the creature right above. It came from outer space. We have stuff like the amazing Mr. X cult of the Cobra Jujinyuki Otoko. And those are interesting, sometimes not on purpose, um, but they at least have something there, whereas this is just a standard invasion kind of movie. I do think that this is, like, with the stuff you were talking about, about, like, the various death scenes in this movie being, like, a little extreme, I think there's more to this than Jujin Yuki Otoko, which, like, half the time is sort of like, here's the escapades of these, like, yeti people you know like here's the baby getting out of this trap like or whatever what would you say to below cult of the cobra but above jujin yuki otoko i'm pretty comfortable there are you comfortable with us considering this horror yeah i think if we're putting this around here i'm comfortable i wouldn't have been comfortable putting it up in like the fucking high 20s where you were looking i just don't feel cool with that but i think if we're putting it here i'm i'm more good Cool. Yeah, let's do this then. Okay, so then entering the list at the new number 64 is Quatermass 2 from 1957, directed by Val Guest. 
If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the other episodes we've mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, or even try to make a case for this not being horror, please drop us a line through our Ask box on Tumblr. You can also reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show through our RSS feed, and you can help the show out by leaving it a rating or a review. You can also help us out just by telling a friend about us, spreading around the word of the show. You know, let people know we're getting into the time of Hammer Horror. We're getting into the time of, like, color gothic horror movies. We're getting into the time of teenagers soon. Teens. Um, So, yeah, tell your friends about the show. Get them listening. Uh, If you would like to support what we're doing here, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast and become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month at the five and ten dollar levels you get access to regular bonus content uh sarah's been putting out a lot of great um little written pieces for our ten dollar patrons um about like gothic horror and like her various touchstones in that genre um so that's really cool stuff that you should check out we've fallen below the number we need to do our bonus episodes which for the record is fine we understand finances change no blaming or anything absolutely um but if you haven't signed up to the patreon yet and you've been on the fence about it and you want to hear us do a bonus episode about a horror adjacent movie uh right now the poll on our patreon for what we would be doing next is favoring the mummy from 1999 starring brendan Fraser and rachel vice so if what you know is what i'm favoring so if you want to hear us talk about everyone's favorite bisexual disaster movie <laughs> um head on over to patreon.com slash scream scene podcast and uh kick in a few bucks so what are we watching next week ben well <laughs> i have some bad news sarah no uh, we're watching a uh, it's still a british movie it's called the man without a body but it's directed by an american director and it's an american director we've seen before his name is william wilder not the famous good director billy wilder but rather his less famous not good brother who had brought us uh the snow creature i do believe god one of the worst movies we've ever seen oh my four scream scene uh, the Snow Creature currently ranks as the second lowest movie on the list. And this is our return to the films of W. Lee Wilder. Great. I do love doing this podcast. But, but sometimes at what cost? <laughs> See you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.